What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to the Zero to Hear podcast. On tonight's show, serial entrepreneur in uh, BC, Manny Pada. This was a really, really fun conversation with me. Someone who I greatly look up to in the world of entrepreneurship. Uh, super intelligent guy. Has built a couple businesses, now investing in, he mentioned, over 100 different businesses throughout Canada and North America. Check it out. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this one. We would love to hear your feedback. Shoot us a, or leave us a review. And please, please, please subscribe. We would love for you to keep coming along in this crazy podcast journey with us. Do you follow Gary Vito? No. <clears throat> you don't like him? Uh, I think he's um I think he's got some good messaging that he says. I think that how he operates can construe into a negative fashion sometimes. But I think he means well and I think he's got some very good points. But I mean, That's what I think too. I think he is I think the material that he s says is extremely valuable to a lot of people. How he presents it can come across as arrogant often, right? Yeah, and, and, and I always tell people, like, you can have absolutely the best message in the world. Like, you can have the on point, but if you cannot deliver it, it doesn't matter, mm -hmm. right? It's, why, it's like the old adage of business. Think of a business, right? So it's like, okay, an engineer builds a product, but then has to give away 50% of it to the sales guy to go sell the product. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and an engineer sits back and goes, well, why am I giving you 50%? The sales guy goes, well, I can go work with multiple people, but you can only build one product. Right? So, but both are just as important. Mm -hmm. right? So it's the same thing there with Gary Vee. He's hit big with et cetera. And you know, I don't know how many followers he has. He's, like, he's done really well from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. But do I think his message is getting across and resonating? No, not as much as it could. But who knows? Do you think it's because, like, do you think swearing has a thing, has a part? I think it's because thing? he's, it's like, I think it's because it's done for entertainment value and to make money, not to actually be authentic. Do you think it is? Oh, for sure. It so is. it's almost like clickbait, you could say. Yeah, like, you know, it's like, it's like you make a shocking statement for the sake of arguing. Come through. Like, I was at a conference, yes, last week I was speaking at, although I do agree with this. And I said, in 10 years, though, realtors will be out of a job. I think technology will take over it. Mm. Now, what I'm actually saying is 90% of them will be gone. There's still 10% that have high touch mm. intuition, right? Because, you know, whatever, how many neurons are up there, there's almost the exact same amount down here, right? In your gut. And so if you can have that, then you're actually, and I'm not, I'm not going to take credit. It's Duncan Wardell who was talking about this. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. But if you have that piece, you're fine. But people in the audience found it very shocking that I made that statement because there was like 50 realtors in the audience, mm. right? And they weren't even thinking about it. And I was like, and then one guy got up and was like, wow, can you say that? Or afterwards he asked me, I go, well, think of it this way. If you asked a taxi cab driver 10 years ago what technology had to do with them, they'd say nothing. Uber, nothing. Mm. Delivery, nothing. Right? Like everything moves so much more rapidly now. And like we were talking about earlier, automation is coming. Or, you know, or, you know, how we call this a gig economy. Mm. Literally where I think we're going to end up with most things. Do you think it'll just be like... A computer-generated program that is so good that just says your property is worth this, 
and a buyer, someone who's willing to pay it. And so it's more just like a price tag at yeah. a grocery store than yeah. like marketing. I think I think it'll be. And and Vancouver's different, right? Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, like we got some people who are probably realtors now who came into the market because it was nice and frothy, <laughs> right? <laughs> so you you might have lost a little bit of quality there, yeah. right? Um, and so a lot of them, you know, it's like I call mortgage brokers, 95% of mortgage brokers are glorified fax machines, right? Mm-hmm. And so what really cannot an algorithm do that right now they do other than, I remember like, I remember before I met Jamie guys or you guys, I remember talking to realtors and they just send me a list of t- targeted realtors. It's things that's based off an algorithm. <laughs> I says, he's interested in this area with these parties. And then they send it to you and then they tell you to go look at it yourself. And then when it's time to close, they take their commission, right? Um, so why can't just algorithms do that? Mm-hmm. In fact, they could probably integrate. I think that's why real estate boards try to hold that data so secretly because they know it's coming, mm-hmm. right? And once you have all mm-hmm. those pieces, it'll just be based on, hey, if you can, if you need to sell within a year, you can get this price. If you need to sell within the next fifteen days, this is the price you get. Mm-hmm. I've had people think that it's just going to be a big bank or a corporation that just buys, sells, and holds. So you're always selling it into a corporation. I don't know about that yet, but I definitely think it'll become much more of a transaction, right? And uh, there's just a marketplace like now with Bitcoin or something like that, yeah. where if you want to sell, you're just putting it up there, yeah, and someone buys it that may or may not ever see it. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Or someone wants to move in, they go, I want this type of house in this many, this many things. Here's my yard. Here's boom, 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 boom. Here are the ones I want. Click. I'll take that one. Right. Hmm. Who knows? VR will just be so good at that point that there's just a video. So. It's not there yet. Online. Yeah. Not there yet, but in 10 years, like we're, we're in the mind of exponential thinking now, right? Like what we can now get done in 10 years used to take 50 before. Hmm. And in about five years, what we can get done in five years will be what we used to do in 50 before. Yeah. Right? And so, and you can just look at that. Look how rapidly companies are scaling to a billion dollar valuation. Totally. Right? Like how long did it take IBM to get to a billion dollar valuation? I think it was like 50 years. And then Microsoft <laughs> was like 20, right? 25 years. And now, like in the last 10 years, out of all the unicorns, most of them weren't around before 2010 mm. or just around that time. So it's kind of like, are you wow. Jamie? Yep, I'm recording. Okay, because this is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> laughing with you. And so, how is? Uh, did you take the Gary V one too? That's good. What's that? Yep. Oh, thanks. That's amazing. Appreciate that. I'm gonna get a lot of hate on that one. Um, but I think there's, uh, I you know, I, I think there's just gonna be a lot, a lot of change in how quickly people can move. Hmm. We were talking about wealth transfer too, right? Like you were saying, hmm. oh, that person who bought and sold the condo nine hundred made half. Like you're gonna see a lot more of those. It's not like capital was ever built by the smartest people. It was just built by people in the right situations. Mm-hmm. I think there's, there would be a lot more right situations these days. Mm-hmm. Do you, so talking about real estate specifically, do you see any need for the middleman like a, like a realtor is right now? Obviously there's like things that consumers don't understand, like contract writing and reviewing documents and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Where where do those types of products go, or where do the where does that service go? If it's just a database somewhere where you post a VR video, well, I think a lot property. of the reasons you have the database and you have those like I, I here's what I think the the realtor's worth to me is not actually walking through documents. 
the realtor's worth to me is actually walking through the home and giving me, here's what I think your home is. Here's what I think you need to do your home to sell it. Mm-hmm. Here's what I think your price range is. Here's the comparables. And now I'm going to go market the product. That was mm-hmm. the whole job of the realtor before. Sure. Then Vancouver went gangbusters. Mm-hmm. And then the job of the realtor was, hey, I'm just going to sit back and collect a check. And I'm going to, you know what I mean? Like that's literally what it got to almost, mm-hmm. at least from the people I, I saw out there. And that's what you always get. You have people flooding in the market. So I think you got to get back to out of, here is how this document works to getting back to the basic cores of marketing. Like I've got one individual, I think works for you guys, who literally will send me, hey man, this is what we're seeing happening in the Brentwood development area. Just so you know, FYI, here these homes may eventually end up being rezoned. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's valuable information. Totally. Right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to come talk to you later. I'm mm-hmm. not going to, you know what I mean? And so those are the pieces I think that are more important than how do you dot the I's and cross the T's on this legal paperwork? Because mm-hmm. the payout statements are going to be easy now. You're not going to need lawyers for it in 10 years. Mm-hmm. You're going to just go through a company and get it done. Right? A lot of those pieces and steps that are built in, that paperwork that's built in, is I, I think a lot of it's unnecessary. Right? Like you're gonna know if the person owns a house because the title search is done by an algorithm. Right? You're yeah. gonna know if there's an old tanker on the property because you're gonna compile all that research. You know, to the best and of your probably knowledge. Probably things like Stratadocs, there'll probably just be a hub or some website or something that some company has reviewed them all. And here's a quick summary, right? Type in your address. Cole, see I, the I think, I think we got that about 80 years ago. It's called Cole's Notes. Well, yeah, but right? to do specifically with real estate. People do it for books, Blinkist, yeah, right? Exactly. There's, there, everyone does it, right? And the way, the rate we consume information now is very different than our generation. Mm-hmm. Wait till our kids' generation. It's going to be ridiculous. Like I watch how my kids process and synthesize. And my not even two-year-old talks to Siri, <laughs> right? And asks ridiculous <laughs> questions, which I probably can't repeat on the show. But... It's just amazing at the pace and knowledge that they learn at, right? And so you probably will need less, the less and less human interaction becomes involved, the less and less paperwork you need. Because the only reason that you need to build all that paperwork is so somebody on the other side doesn't mess you over. Totally. Right? <laughs> but now if it's being done automated, mm-hmm. like it's other than a home inspection, which should already be done and qualifies it, other than all those pieces, it's pretty much you're selling and buying the house. I don't disagree with you at all. And not that I've thought about it seriously in terms of like our business and how to evolve. Cause I think we're, you mentioned 10 years away, but it could be more than that. Who knows? But I think it's coming. Absolutely. And I think most service jobs are going to be like that. You mentioned lawyers and accountants. I think there is a lot that is done by people right now that someone's going to build an app or something that's going to take away a lot of that stuff. Yeah, anything that requires a data, like I said, anything that requires a database of information, a computer can generate quicker, mm-hmm. right? However, if there's intuition required and creativity and thinking, that's why I always think there's always going to be the cream of the cop of lawyers and accountants that just work with those information and get it done. Sure. You're just going to get rid of the 80%. Sure. And that's in every industry. And real estate, real estate is probably one of those good examples of 90, whatever, it's the 80-20 rule, but in real estate, it's probably 95-5, right? Like 5% of realtors make 95% of the money. Yeah, and, and but a lot of them have just built really good transaction machines. Sure. Right? And so how long will that be around, right? It's mm-hmm. it's in those pieces. It's in every industry. You just have to be ready for that technology to come and disrupt. And how is it going to disrupt your, your business? Totally. Right? So, <clears throat> yeah. Manny, I'm pumped. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I don't, I was trying to think today. I don't think we've ever had like an in-depth conversation. So I'm excited uh, to finally pick no, your, pick your brain a little bit. Sounds good. Whenever we hang out, it's with, usually with Jamie or Nav. Yeah. And that's not going to be Usually there's like a sporting event inv- involved or yeah. something. So it's very surface level conversation, yes. which I'm pumped about. 
first of all, just a quick acknowledgement of Manny, and we'll get into your kind of career and yeah, sure. all that you've done in a very short period of time, which is really impressive to someone like me. I look up to you a lot. Just and I don't know a ton of the backstory, which I'm excited to get to know a little yeah, bit for more. Sure. But just like from the surface, you are a super inspirational dude. You have built a couple big businesses, maybe more than a couple, and now into giving back and educating younger entrepreneurs and all that kind of stuff, doing a lot of public speaking. And I hope to be in a position one day that I can give back as much as you are right now, which is pretty cool. You already can. Examples we can chat like about you. that later. Yeah. Well, maybe the podcast is part of giving back. Exactly. Um, you're big on education. Mm-hmm. We were talking a little bit about your son's uh, education earlier. Talk to me a little bit about why you think education is so important right now. Yeah, let's take it from two perspectives, maybe. So mm-hmm. let's go past and then and then present and then future. So, you know, in the past, I come from an immigrant family, mm-hmm. right, with two parents who were master's level educated, but took regular jobs. So, you know, coming from India where they could go. So education was always impressed upon me sure. uh, from a very young age. Sure. Um, and so I didn't really understand why. I think that's just traditional immigrants, you know, mm-hmm. educated, build yourself a better life. We mm-hmm. came here to do that. And so... Um, that's kind of what I did at the beginning and, and went through there. But as I, you know, as I got through my 20s and, and grew up and, and realized, I really found that doing research and seeing it, that education really, and data, which is now what it is, but it's education, really has always been held by the people in power. And the more education you get out into the workforce, into society, the more educated decisions be made, the more informed people are, the more rational people become, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find people who are haven't had the opportunity to be educated are actually more irrational typically than rational. Um, Interesting, okay. Um, and so uh, having that ability I've seen, I think, just allows you to make better decisions. It allows you to have better people in the, in the workforce, in society, and those type of things. So that's mm-hmm. where I see it. And I see education now in the present and, and in the future as a really, it's the only way that you can lift people out of poverty. So everyone's always heard that term of, you know, teach someone to fish, right? Or give them a fish, feed them for a day, teach them to fish, feed them for a lifetime. But what if you took that one step further? What if you actually educated them on how to build a fishing rod? Right? Now, where does that take you? Mm -hmm. And how much more does that impact individuals? And and so that, I remember remember thinking that quote myself and going, oh, that's kind of interesting. How how does that work? And that's kind of how I got into the education piece a lot more. So yeah, I can sit back and I can mentor and I can... I can do that specifically with individuals. But if I'm actually mentoring and working with entrepreneurs, and I've been very fortunate that I've had some really amazing mentors that have helped me through my business mm-hmm. life, personal life, health, everything, how many of those people will then go and then go do it themselves? Totally. And you can then have that really good ripple effect, mm-hmm. right? And so that's kind of where I see education mm-hmm. now. So whether it's in third world countries, educating people just out of the slums into, um, into actual... Uh, organizations or societies, universities, et cetera, allows them to get up and get good jobs and can then lift their families out. Mm. Um, you know, so that's that's kind of what we focus on. And I, and I just find it to be the most interesting piece. And it all comes from that nugget, that little immigrant story of education allows you to build up, right? Because that's kind of the story a lot of us know. Did you get a lot of your formal education though? Uh, yeah, I'm unique in that. I've got a lot of formal education, but I, I totally believe in the in the street smarts education. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think if you if you're formally educated, it's tough for you to and not street smart. It's tough for you to 
build a successful business. Sure. If you've got street smarts, but you're not formally educated, you can do it, but it's a lot more work. If you can combine both, I, I think it just leverages on top of each other mm-hmm. and builds together. So I did my undergraduate at SFU and with honors in marketing and finance, sorry, HR and finance, did marketing concentration as well. Did my MBA at Queens. Um, and then I went to study private equity venture capital, the executive course at Harvard. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm part of uh, entrepreneurs organization, which is all about learning mm-hmm. <laughs> through different events, universities, they put on those type of things as well. Interesting to hear your, I did not get much out of my university experience. Yeah, I and think every every degree I did or got further, I got more in less time. Interesting. Okay. So I learned more at Harvard in a week than I did at my MBA in a year. And I learned more in my MBA in a year than I did at four years at SFU. What, was that because the content was more narrowed down or was it more practical knowledge in those types of programs? Yeah, I or? think moving from theoretical to practical. Sure. I think university, you know, is always... University just shows that you have the ability to learn. I don't think it actually teaches you a lot specifically. I say that all the time. Like obviously with a industry like real estate, formal education does not mean a ton in terms of how successful you're going to be in real estate, right? And so I don't know. I had someone in an interview one time be like, well, I have this degree. And I was like, to me, all that means, all that is, is just a license that you are able to learn. Yeah. It just proves that you can learn things. Yeah, and it doesn't even prove it that well. Right. right? And, and the value of those are becoming less and less every year. Sure. Right, especially now as you're getting, you know, schools that are focused more on specific practical knowledge. You can go online and probably learn more through podcasts, totally. TED Talks, mm-hmm. different academies, boot camps, than you could sitting in a class, mm-hmm. right? Because it's tailored education for what you need and what you want. And so I think, you know, that line is being skewed now between formal and informal education. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you give me, you know, education almost as a barrier now for some people because of the cost. So if someone's smart enough that they go through the informal route, I'd love to hire that person if they're not unhirable. If they want to do their own thing. What, uh, oh, I don't know what I was going to say. Let's go to, how about, um, how do you consume content right now? How do you, how do you continue to educate yourself? Cause I know you're super big into that. Yeah. You know, like always learning, always growing. Yeah. Well, whether it's always learning, I just, I love having really insightful conversations with people. Hmm. Like I was just up at the EO chapter two over the weekend. It yeah. was so cool to have a rational conversation about politics, which is very tough to do. Um, and, and just things happening in the world, right? Like there's so much stuff happening. And so I consume through reading a lot of news right now, mm-hmm. a lot of articles, BBC, Google News, Right, if I want to hear two opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, you can go to CNN in those places, but those are skewed in different directions. Mm-hmm. I just go out and I read all day long. And that allows me to then talk about what's happening with the election to what's happening out in Hong Kong to what's happening with the Cleveland Browns last night to, <laughs> to a variety of topics. And I just love talking about these things and learning with people. And so that's, that's actually probably how I learn the most now is through those things. And then I specifically do learning events that I think are of our interest. And I, you know, I talk about EO a couple of times, but I do most of those learning events now. I'm president of the chapter. Mm-hmm. So I've been able to kind of mold some of the events to, to things that we enjoy. So going and listen to guys like Ben Greenfield is amazing. Having Duncan Wardell, um, who taught the talk on creativity and innovation was just mm. astounding. And that's kind of how I consume. Uh, so it's much more informal now than it used to be. Totally. Um, yeah, a couple of years ago, I thought I'd keep going back to university and doing more education. And now I'm not so sure. 
What do you like? What do you get out of those groups, EO? Obviously, it's pretty high level individuals that you talk about having more practical conversations rather than like talking about business ideas. But w- you mentioned that you're the president now. So, like, w- what's the motivation in terms of like? First of all, why you're president role? But why are you? Yeah, why are you volunteering to be president? I know, eh? more volunteer roles. So I joined EO about five years ago, and the, mainly the reason was that I was I just didn't have a peer group I could talk to. Mm. They're already doing fairly well successfully financially, mm-hmm. but those are tough conversations to have with other people who who aren't. And so sure. I joined actually from a personal friend, health, family perspective. Mm. And so the conversation I get there is not because it's separated by income or this. It's it's that everyone there who's kind of joined that organization is there for similar reasons. You're either there because you want to grow your business, you want to grow yourself personally, or you want to grow as a family person. You're mm-hmm. there to grow. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. Um, and what I get out of those conversations is just, it's like stimulation for me in terms of what I think and how I operate. It's allowed me to build my business how I built it. Like New Avenue Capital focuses on financial, human, and impact capital. And all those things work together. I give you capital, put the right people in place to build it. When you exit, I show you how to give it back. I didn't know how to build those things out when I when, before I joined the, there and before I went and did some other education. And so it's really helped me synthesize what I do, but at the same time, still at the same time, maintain uh, the importance that I have with family. Because to me, that's a really important piece as well. And with my health, right? I'm probably healthier now than I've been in the last 10 years. Mm. Um, how to build manage things like anxiety or those type of things, talking about mm. those things, being able to be open in a forum, right? I think so often we're convinced by society that can't talk about certain things that are taboo, right? Can't wear pink socks. Can't do, can't do any of these things. How do you, uh, how do you actually go talk to individuals and realize it's just okay, right? Like mm-hmm. you're allowed to do these things. You're allowed to be open, be open about mental health, be open about how you feel, be open when your business is going shitty, right? Be open when marriage has its ups and downs and when it's going great and when it's not, right? Or, you know, your health. And so that's the platform organizations like that can open for you. How do you how do you learn to open up? Because I feel like a lot of people and myself in the past as well struggle with <clears throat> what am I what am I actually struggling with? What yep. am I being a baby about? Uh, is someone else going to understand from my, from my perspective these types of situations that I'm going through, etc.? Yeah, I think you just need to be comfortable in your own skin mm-hmm. and comfortable with yourself. And I think because and we were talking about this before we jumped on, you know. Before someone is the age of five, they have no preconditions, prejudices, you know, in the world, really, mm-hmm. because you haven't been hit by the world. But then you spend 18 years in formal education, if not longer, conforming. You spend and, and preconceived notions of how you should operate. Mm-hmm. Your family has a very big impact. So how your parents operated is typically how you'll operate. Sure. And let's be honest, the generation before us was told not to be open, yeah. right? Be strong. Men don't cry. Right, women do this, men do this, right? And so you have to break through all of those preconceived notions to finally just get to a place where you say, hey, I'm, this is me, I'm very happy, uh, or I'm very open about what I am. And to be open, honest, and vulnerable are probably three things that you need to finally get to that position. Mm-hmm. Once you can do those three things, um, that's where I think you're at a place where you're able to learn. And so um, I think that's where I am striving to be, mm-hmm. right, in terms of where I have, like, Opening up a mental health was pretty important. Key for me, I, you know, it was uh, actually helped a lot because mm-hmm. um, it actually helped explain a lot of people the way I was sure. back in the day. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so, um, so it's it, it's a critical piece there. I want to jump into that, obviously, yeah. but 
maybe let's give a little bit of context into your background after university, going into recruiting, then starting yeah. your own business. So here's a story. So <laughs> I always thought I was going to be an investment banker. Interesting. Uh, that was the okay. goal. And that was the job. Make as much money as I could. Yeah. Right. Come from a small town with not as much capital. Uh, so that was what I was doing. I had an offer from one of the big four banks, and I had a really close mentor of mine who pulled me aside, who I worked for, and said, "Listen, I think you're awesome. You have issues working for people because um, you've worked for me, and, and and you just blew past everything." And he goes, "I think you just need a network." He goes, "You can either go build PowerPoint presentations for the next two, three, four years because that's what you'll do as an analyst in investment banking and make decent money, mm-hmm. or go to an organization where you can build a network you couldn't dream of." And then go do whatever you want. And so I said, all right, cool. And so he actually set me up to go work at um, the world's largest executive search firm. What I mean set me up, he is, um, he had a contact there who was a senior client partner mm-hmm. who I would never would have known about the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And uh, I applied, didn't get the job. But then eight months later, they called me back because the person they hired, they fired. And then I got the job. Uh, and so I ended up at that firm for Corn Ferry for close to four years. And worked my way up until essentially I was working with the global head of mining and metals for the organization. This mm-hmm. is like big companies we're working with. Like, you know, think of like if you were looking at companies in Vancouver like Telus, Tech Cominco, you know, or Tech Resources Now, um, we'd be doing the boards, the C-suite, etc. So very high, powerful network people. Um, and so I got to eventually go do work in like twenty countries, ex- executing at the highest headhunting level, and. Um, Really got to, at that time, I was 23, 24. So I was working with people at least double my age or recruiting two and a half times my age. So right. I had to build up credibility really quickly. Uh, and it was beautiful that I got to work on the phone um, because I got to do what I do best and that's talk, totally. um, but not see me. And I, I'm very envious of Denny's beard. I wish I had a beard like that when I was that age. Uh, <laughs> Carl's. They, yeah, Carl's, Carl's <laughs> a little too scruffy for, for, for professional search, but it looks good. It looks, I do like it. He's got the most James Harden effect. Um, and so I was there for four years and, you know, I was 26, 27 at that time, 26, I think, and finished my MBA and I was kind of thinking what's next and kind of looked up and I noticed that being partner was a long time away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I quit. Mo- take a step back a little bit. Motivation out of, or like, wh- where does motivation come? You, you mentioned that one of the goals is to make a lot of money yeah, out so of the, university. Yeah. The motivation in my early twenties was just to make money. And prove that I was somebody. Where did that idea come from? Was that like immigrant family? It actually wasn't from my parents at all, funny enough. That was just coming from a small town and uh, being unique in a small town. And so uh, what did my close friends used to say in my early 20s? I didn't have a chip on my shoulder. I had a two by four on my shoulder. <laughs> right? Uh, which I totally look back and I go, wow, yeah. I wish that wasn't me when I was younger. But that that literally, that was the person that came out of his environment. Mm. Right? Bullied in school, bullied in high school, right? wore a turban until I was 18. So I was very different from everybody else in the community I was growing up. There's only two people with turbans, my brother and I. right? And so I cut my turban off when I was 18. And so I came to SFU with a completely different life. And it was like two tale of two lives. And so, but unfortunately, that baggage just stuck with me mm. until I was much older, until probably a few years ago. Yeah. Well, now I really don't care. But... 36 now, right? So into my 30s, that still came in. So I was literally just trying to prove myself mm. and wanted to make as much money as possible as I could do it. And you could hear it when I talked to people. It was all about what I was doing. And now I look back and I'm like, wow, you look like a jackass, right? Literally, right? And so um, 
Ask Jamie. He'll, he'll tell you I was. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I don't know how we became good friends. But, um, but I think that's what it was. So that was the motivation back then. And then when I left and built my own search firm, it was just because nothing was good enough. Mm-hmm. Because being, the goal of being the youngest partner in Coin for History wasn't good enough. I wanted to do my own thing. Um, and it ended up being the right move. Funny enough, it's, uh, you know, I went and, went and started my own search firm and you know, did, over, did seven digits in profit in the first year and uh, did that every year since then um um and I've, I've kept that going that was by back in the day driven by the motivation of doing really well totally. right and uh and capital and money and uh but as i as i veered into my 30s probably coincides with meeting my wife too a little bit um i uh i started to kind of realize that that wasn't everything and uh fortunate knock on wood that i realized at a younger age versus when i'm 50 and i'm looking around and Kids don't know me, don't know anybody, totally. and I'm by myself, but I have lots of money. Um, but I realized as I built my search remote, because it was successful, that that wasn't all I needed um, and to go from there. But uh, finishing the story of the background, so mm-hmm. built the search firm up, did really well with that. And then in a couple of years, realized I wanted to build a leveraged model. So let's start leveraging this network I built. So I started leveraging it by working with some of the top entrepreneurs globally. And as they were building early stage companies, I was like, hey, can I do my search feeds in stock? Right? I'd, I'd heard about a recruiter that did that for Google back in the day. Okay. Like this has got to be 30 years ago now and like got stock, like cheap stock. And then, you know, it was worth a lot down the road. And I was like, that's an interesting model. So I sat down and, you know, this is when I went to Harvard around that time too and built this model up. I was like, this, this would work. And so I'd get cash flow from the really big search for companies that I was working with and charge them good money. Mm-hmm. And the smaller ones do those search fees in stock, build those lottery tickets. And so mm-hmm. that's what I did. And over three, four years, did really well and hit some lottery tickets. And that allowed me to move more into the investing side mm-hmm. and become an angel investor. And I'm a unique in background in the angel investing space because I'm not from finance. I'm not from industry. I'm from people. But guess yeah. what it takes to build a very good company? People. Exactly. Finance, you can learn, right? And I already had that background, right? And so, uh, so moved into angel investing, wrote a number of checks over the last number of years. Uh, consider myself quite fortunate that over the 100 checks or so, just over 100 now we've written, uh, you know, had... 23 exits, positive exits. It's been more than 100 now, but uh, but it's gone well. Uh, there's some bankruptcies on top of that, which happy to talk about if we need to. But you learn <laughs> you learn from it, and it's a pretty good run rate. Like you know, one in four is pretty good. One in five or so is around where we're at. Mm-hmm. Uh, one in four, one in five, um, and that's a pretty good run rate in the angel investing business, where usually you're hoping for one big one out of ten. Really? Um, mm-hmm. And I I attribute to that the fact that I come from a people background, not a financial spray and pay, pray model background. Totally. Uh, so anyway, so did that. Um, and so was full-time angel investor for the last number of years. Uh, was fortunate to be recognized for that with some awards and those type of things. And then uh, got a little bored, which every entrepreneur does, I think, and get into something new. So now I'm in the, my major business now is the teeth business. We're doing a consolidation and roll-up in a nice, boring manufacturing business of manufacturing <laughs> teeth. But what I want to do is do take, the, take that teeth business, and then I want to implement technology in it. So that way, when someone in 10 years comes to me and says, what does technology have to do your business? My answer right now is not nothing. My answer is like, I'm trying to figure it out. Yeah. Right? So it's a very, it's a very non-automated, high labor-intensive business. It's an interesting left turn there. Completely. But it's, <laughs> it's kind of like, I love challenging my brain. Yeah. Right? It's kind of cool. I think this is what I'll always do. I'll always challenge my brain. So I'll do this, build it up, exit, take a couple years off, look and canvas the market, and what else makes really good sense and then jump into that. Kind of seems fun to do that for the next 30 years. It does sound fun. Yeah. It also sounds stressful. Why? 
Um, Why is that stressful? It means I have an exit plan. I know what I want to do, and I get to take some time off. That sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Just need a lot. Of, <laughs> oh, I guess you just need a lot of capital to get there. No. So I, the first business we bought, and this last business, and one of the businesses I've been involved in, we bought it with twenty five percent down capital and seventy five percent debt. You don't. That's one thing on this podcast I want people to know is that you don't need a lot of capital to to start a business. You can get creative, just like you don't need a lot of capital if you want to get back. Mm-hmm. Both things don't. Re- it helps. Having capital helps. It allows you to get into bigger businesses. Mm-hmm. But there's no reason why you can't go think of a really good idea, especially if it's at a solid cash flowing business. But you cannot go find that opportunity, find that business you can buy, structure it together, make sure you keep 30% of the business or 20%, go raise some capital from investors for putting it together, and go to the bank for the rest for debt. Seems simple in some ways. Yeah, I guess shows like uh, <clears throat> Dragon's Den make it seem more simple too because you see it happen all the time. Yeah. And Dragon's Den's an entertainment show, right? Totally. So, you know, let's 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 call a spade a spade. It's anything that's on TV is there for entertainment. But there are, and especially if you're living in BC, and I, I assume, I don't know where the podcasters, a lot of them are from, but if you're in BC, BC probably has one of the most frothiest markets when it comes to small sub small businesses that are from baby boomers who are going to retire and you can get involved in a cash flow business where if you just had some energy and put into it, you can grow that business Mm -hmm. and you don't need millions of dollars to go do it. Mm -hmm. That's why it's one of the advices I always give entrepreneurs. Like everyone just wants to get into technology because they think it's the sexiest thing in the world. Oh, I'm a, I'm a tech exec. Mm -hmm. I'm a CEO of a technology company. What's your valuation? 5 million. How'd you come up with it? No idea. (laughs) Like I had a meeting with somebody this morning and um, and he's like, oh, you know, and then they're in a little bit of trouble. And uh, and so we said, listen, we need to do a reset on this company. Like, you know, your valuation is too high, et cetera. And he goes, well, you know, I value, the value of the company is $5 million. And he literally had no product at this time. Like, it was literally stage past back of the napkin. I was like, okay, how'd you come <laughs> up with that valuation? I wasn't trying to be rude. I was just trying to walk through it. And he goes, well, you know, at this stage, you know, we're a technology company. It's more of a, you know, it gave me the, it's an art versus a science, which I know that term because I use it everywhere. And I said, okay, but how, you know, when you raised half a million dollars, how did you know that it was worth $5 million? Right? Because, you know, I go, it sounds to me like you did it for dilution purposes, not for business purposes. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, you know, I don't think, you know, some of what you're talking about, he's like, well, how do you value companies? I said, oh, well, I value it in four ways. I value it based on A, the team, B, where your product's going to go. Um, C, I forgot the third one, how I said, but the fourth one, which is most important, I go, I take the amount of capital I'm going to raise and I map out where that's going to get me and what the valuation will be next. And if I get that money to do it next, then typically I'll say 50%. So you raising $500,000, I know because you're building a heavy capital intensive equipment, there's no way your valuation could have been $10 million. And he was just like, shit. <laughs> right? And so I think it's everyone loves that industry because it's so cool. Mm-hmm. But it, people make wealth in what I call BB2B businesses, boring business to business, where you make real wealth. Right? Think of everyone who's built up. We were just talking about commercial real estate. Mm-hmm. Right? Boring. If so you can boring. find a commercial real estate with a bank back in the day, I don't know in the next 20 years if that's going to be as important, but 20 years ago it sure was. Even now it sure is. Right? Nice cash flowing businesses. Mm-hmm. Lots of those. Yeah. Taking a step back, getting in, a lot of our listeners are young entrepreneurs or people thinking about yeah. working for themselves. How do you build credibility when you're young? Like, obviously, from your experience, 
you're working with a lot of people that are double your age or older. Mm -hmm. So what keys made you successful in that first business or in that first company that you worked for for four years? So I actually wrote an article on this. Did you? Okay. About how I actually uh, was able to do it out of my search business. So I'll give you the, the couple of highlights was, you know, I was working with people double my age. So I remember growing my beard. <laughs> uh, I remember one thing I did, which was really, which was really funny. Now the secret's out, but it's okay. I'm 36. Was I actually went back to my demographic that I was working with. So if they were in their 60s, mm -hmm. 50s, 60s, I went back to the 80s and I read all the news of what was happening in the 80s at that time. Yeah. It was like 70s and 80s, like 80s and into the early 90s. And it was so funny to be able to have conversations on that stuff. Now imagine being on the phone and talking to somebody about stuff that's happening in the 80s when I was born in 1983. They have no idea. They're not going to ask how old you are. Right? But I think two things, you know, if we were talking now about not those tips and tricks, two things to actually become credible is to actually be authentic in everything you're doing. And also, I think the biggest critical key is that you're going to make mistakes. And so those are the two pieces. So on authenticity, on, on the stuff that you do, the stuff that's public and private, like if you're saying, hey, I'm a social impact company, everything you do has to be social impact. Mm -hmm. Like not your business cannot have anything that's out of alignment. So if you take your values and what you do, and it's okay to make money. I know people who say, I just want to make money. I go, great, that's good. I want to know that. So when I'm doing my business with you, I know it's about money. That's okay. That There's nothing wrong with that, right? But if it's a certain values that you want to have, and if you have that three-year-old thing. So I tell people all the time, I do like to make good capital. I do like to make money, but I also like to do these things. And everything I do, I hope, you know, shows that. And so that credibility is there. And then over time, over the last 10 years, I've had numbers of exits. I have entrepreneurs who I've worked with. And, you know, I've written over 100 checks, and I can count on one hand how many of those I wouldn't speak with the entrepreneur anymore. And so you're, you kind of, I hope you build that credibility, you build that reputation in business. And the third thing is I've made a lot of mistakes, but I, I own them, mm. right? Uh, and I understand that it's not about never making a mistake. To me, it's about 80%. If you can do things 80% well, at 20%, you're okay, mm. right? And so, but understanding you made that mistake. So I remember I sent a, a chat I'm on a board or something. I sent a WhatsApp chat and I'm the president of the organization. You know what? It's a little harsh. I got some, I got a feedback back on it when I, when I was away. They were like, you know, Manny, that was harsh and uncalled for. And even though I felt it was right, it's like, you know what? Let me take a step back. Was I trying to be harsh? No. Was I trying to make a point? Mm -hmm. Yes, but I wasn't trying to make it that way. So no matter what my intent was, it didn't work. So I was open and honest. I go, you know what? That was not my reason for doing it. I apologize. It's amazing how much just doing that people say my bad totally helps, mm -hmm. right? And if you look at the best leaders in the world, they're the best at saying that. Mm -hmm. Like they're very strong at being able to be open and honest about those things. Mm -hmm. and I'll make a mistake probably on my way home today, right? Unfortunately, a cop won't take sorry for not ticket. But <laughs> um, but you know you make these little mistakes all the time, and it's and it's how you deal with them. It's do you get your back up? Do you get defensive? Do you say oh hey? Um, it's not my fault. It's your fault, mm. right? Or are you are you there? I've seen the more mature people get, and the more credible leaders and authorities in business, and especially as young entrepreneurs growing it, mm. um, the more you do that, and follow it up with being authentic in what you do, the more credibility you get. For sure, that's such a good point. And I know you love Gary Vee. Gary Vee has this line: uh, "You made your bed, sleep in it." So, like, you made decisions to put you in this situation. If you make mistakes, that's fine, but own it. And move on. 
I think that. See, that's absolutely. a negative connotation, though, to it, right? You made your bed, now you have to sleep in it. That makes it sound like you made you made you made what you're doing wrong, and now you have to live with that consequence. Yeah. Not always a con- like saying sorry is not a bad thing. Sure, it means you're a vulnerable human being. Like mm-hmm. I think that's okay. Yeah, right? we've been taught so hard mm-hmm. in business. You got to get up on stage. You got to shout. And you got to be confident, <laughs> and nothing is going to break you. And things are always going well. They're always going well, mm-hmm. right? Well, how long can you keep that facade up? It goes back to my first point about authenticity. Mm-hmm. Right? I am tired some days. Right? My youngest son wakes up at 4.30 in the morning, right? And, and especially if it's a weekend, <laughs> I want to get up because my wife is pregnant with a third kid and it's tough for her. I am tired by the time. I might go take a nap in my car. I'm not Superman, <laughs> right? And I think that was the biggest thing for me to learn was that I am not Superman. I can't do everything. Mm-hmm. And still be this perfect facade because that's what's gonna happen. I'm just gonna blow up one day, mm-hmm. right? You gotta be able to say, "Hey, I need help," right? You gotta be able to say, "I am not the smartest person in the room, and if I am, I'm in the wrong room," mm-hmm. right? One of the early things I learned quickly in my career early on was I don't need to know everything, and a lot of young entrepreneurs have this idea fake it till you make it like bullshit your way through things and i never really bought into that or build up their pr before they actually build a business right yeah i i my response to clients when they'd ask questions that i didn't know is i don't know that but i'm gonna go home and find out and email you tonight and get back to you and then guess what you get back to them when you say you were gonna get back to them exactly (laughs) yeah i I don't know why i I, it's so funny when i did my degree in marketing finance hr like those are the three concentrations i did Mm. and uh, people are like oh why'd you do those three i'm like well i feel those are the most important i can outsource it and accounting yeah (laughs) right because i was like those three blend the best and so that's why i did them and even now it's like you know when someone's like oh what's What's your cost per tooth? Or I forgot the question. I was like, oh, let me connect you with our office person or when we're doing a raise. If you can just say, hey, I don't know the answer to it, but I can get it to you and you can get it within a sufficient amount of time. Mm-hmm. That's all people ask for. Yeah. Right? It's, 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 it's big key. Because that comes back down to authenticity. Mm-hmm. Right? And especially when you start, like, there's people I've met in business who they can spot a lie from a mile away. For sure. Like, and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm accused of doing this where I'll ask the same question three times in three completely different ways just to see if it's the same answer. Or I ask a question that I might know the answer to a little bit, but I just want to see what the answer is coming out. Yeah. Right? And and there's people out there who are in business who are much shrewder and much smarter than I am, um, who must do that in a hundred different ways. And so if you can just say, hey, I don't know, or hey, I'm going to get back to you, and here's when, mm-hmm. right? Under promise and over deliver, so you're going to get back tomorrow and get back tonight. For sure. It's, it goes a long way to building your credibility. Because I think that's the, that's the most problem now entrepreneurs young entrepreneurs are going to have is building credibility right there's so much noise out in the markets now there's so many people who are like hey look at me look at me right i know what i'm talking about i'm going to be your sales coach right or i'm going to do this i'm going to do that or my product does this Mm -hmm. and spend so much time on pr it's tough to get through the noise Mm -hmm. and so it's um it's actually easier now to start a business but it's harder to scale a business right but back in the day it used to be hard just to start a business sure Right. And I think that, that was, that was the barrier to entry. Now it's the scale up and getting through all the noise, right? It's why I tend to avoid B2C companies or B2C consumer apps, actually, I should say, Mm. right? Just getting through that noise. You have to get lucky and business, business is already enough luck. You don't want to have to take more. Yeah. You mentioned you authenticity and like you've figured out a balance that 
has worked for you, or at least you're in the process of figuring it out, which yeah. I feel like I am too. At the beginning, was it difficult to find that balance? I know you worked your ass off at that first company, building your recruiting. Thing. Yeah. What was like? What was, what was workloads like at that time? What were hours <laughs> in a day like? Ah, uh, my workload when I was in corporate was I took the job and I approached it like it was my life. Mm. So I slept at the office sometimes. Thank God there was a gym and shower downstairs. <laughs> right? Like I remember um, I remember a funny story. I, uh, we were doing some work in South Africa and I really needed to get a hold of this guy. And I said, I'll call you Saturday morning your time or Saturday afternoon your time. He's like, man, that's three or four in the morning. I was like, yeah, no worries. I'll, I'll make the call. So I went out and partied Friday night. <laughs> And got out of the club or wherever we were, had some food and then made the phone call. And he was so appreciative that I would make that phone call. For, little as you know, it was like, it's the end of my night, happy to do it. Right. And so I did things like that. And so I just hustled. Like I didn't have a work-life balance or integration or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And even when I, even when I started my own search firm, I didn't have that. And I regret it a little bit. Worked a little too hard. When, you, when your immigrant father comes to you and, and says to you, Take it down a notch or relax a bit and don't stress so much. Yeah. I think you've I think you've hit a certain point. <laughs> right. And um and so I think, you know, I things that helped me slow down eventually were having a nephew, right? My first nephew. It's like the first time where I used to slow down. Mm. Like I remember my brother in law's telling me, he goes, You work your butt off. He goes, But as soon as you're with your nephew, you slow down. Because before I met my wife, anybody, it was just it was him and I. We'd have blasts. And mm. I'm, I'm a kid at heart, I'm still a kid. And so, and then when I got married, I had to learn how that would work. And uh, because he can't always, he can't always be right in a marriage, especially, especially as a husband. <laughs> and so, um, and so that, that I got to learn through that process. And I'm very lucky that my wife has now become an entrepreneur as well. So she's learning that side and I'm learning the other side. So we're kind of learning together, mm. which is really awesome. Yeah. And so I think that's helped speed up the process. Mm. But when I was younger, I didn't have time to think about it because A, I left school on a Friday, went to work on a Monday. And B, I was so worried about my image and how much money I could make that I didn't spend time on that on that focus. Mm-hmm. The really good, um, probably jumping around here a little bit. No, there's a okay. there's a really good um, uh, documentary I saw, which talked about. I said this to Jamie actually. I said, you know, you're the one of the happiest guys I know. And he goes, why? And I was like, because you're just everything you do is intrinsically motivated. Nothing you do is extrinsic. Mm-hmm. I forget the documentary. It's on Netflix. You got to watch it. And it was talking about the happiest people in the world, the ones that are intrinsically motivated. And I took that back and I read, read, thought, I was like, that also means that you don't care as much about what other people think. Mm-hmm. Because everything is for yourself and to, for your own. But when you're extrinsically motivated, you rely on other people. You don't have time to think about how to grow yourself and build yourself and do all those things. Sure. And I started doing research and started watching other people and that's what they did. And that's when it started to click to me about, hey, you know, those things make sense. And I didn't, I didn't know those terms particularly. I just watched the documentary this year. But that's where I kind of learned it last year, uh, or sorry, over the last few years. That's where I kind of learned and saw that. I was like, oh, hey, when you stop giving a hoot about a lot of things, focus on those things that helps. And me having kids and those things helps because that completely centers me around my home and my intrinsic values, right? For sure. But it's uh, but that it took a while to learn. Do you do you think you'd be where you are today if you didn't have that though? If you focused more on this idea of work-life balance, or do you think it's at some at some point it's kind of a necessity to go through that for 
three, four, five years. First of all, there's no such thing as work-life balance. I think that's so funny when people think I can only work these hours and then go there. It's all about a balance of life and how you structure it. Yeah. Like I was home with my kids this morning. I drove my oldest to school. I went to work. I picked him up for school. My wife and I had a meeting at the office. He went home. Now I'm here with you doing this podcast. And then I'll go home, hang out with him for a couple hours, hang out with my wife, she'll go to bed. And then I'm probably going to work for two more hours. Right? I balance it around it, going, I make sure these things are available. And I use a book called Pick Three, Randy okay. Zuckerberg. Okay, yeah. You know, there's five things you can do in a day. Uh, pick three of them. Right? Mm-hmm. So you can either work out, you can sleep, friends, family, or work. Can't do all five of those in a day. Mm-hmm. You just, it's to do all five amazingly in a day. And I used to try that. It's horrible. So every day, pick three. Mm-hmm. Right? And at the end of the month, check. Is anything overbalanced? So as long as my my work, my sorry, my family, my work, and my um, and uh, my family, my work, my family, and let's call it sleep. <laughs> I don't know what the third one is. Right, the third one interchanges between sleep, exercise, and friends. Yeah, as long as those are going well, I'm okay with it. But I do actually believe I would have been farther in life if I had realized this faster. Interesting, because I would have, I would have understood the value and the goals a lot more. A, I wouldn't have spent as much money. Um, B, though, I would have learned what I was wanting to do and what my end goal was with everything that I was doing versus just kind of willy-nilly it and working and doing this and then hopping off on so many things and, you know, having the mind of a squirrel, yeah. right? Who saw a new shiny light or a new nut. Do you consciously look at that stuff monthly, did you say? The pick three? Yeah. Yeah, almost weekly. Do you, how often now are you seeing it out of balance or have you gotten? I've been doing it for over a year now. uh, So I can almost mentally take it back into balance. Mm -hmm. And and as you can see, I don't really care about working out as much as I used to. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Actually though, it's actually helped me. I've I've actually gotten 12 pounds down. I got 12 more to go and I'm back to the weight I want to be, which I actually was corporate weight. I never got off after I left Corn Ferry. So I'm pretty proud of that. But I can almost kick it back. And I've also got help too. Like my Mm -hmm. wife would be like, hey, even today, morning she's like you know you haven't gone done yoga in a while you should go tonight mm-hmm. right and uh and i was like yeah you know yeah i haven't i'm gonna make sure i do that today so if i can get in my three days there doing that that's right right and and then just kind of balance it sleep you know if you haven't hit totally i don't go more than one day with a horse if i have one night of bad sleep i make sure i have two nights of good sleep okay so what takes the most hit friends sure be honest unfortunately when right? you have kids it kind of yeah, but I don't think it's the kids. I think, it, yeah. I think I, uh, you know, your friends just change a little bit, right? They got to be people who can be around kids. <laughs> right? So maybe some of your university friends don't work anymore. But, you know, I, I, I still see my friends like once a week, right? And I think what happens though is your friend circle reduces mm-hmm. and you, you just hang out more and more people who, well, at least this is what I've done. I just hang out more and more people who are aligned with me values wise. Yeah. Right. Or I can go and my wife and I can go together with like, you know, we've planned a bunch of couples dinners and I just two, three different couples. and We go together and we hang out like that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Right. So you got to be able to balance it. Right? Jamie and I, take the kids together. Right. So we make sure that we do that. Right. And so that allows us to do both. Totally. So you kind of mix and match and you kind of compromise certain things. But, you know, it's all a balance and you just have to figure out how you're going to manage that. And what's the most important to you? Mm-hmm. Right. Like I still see my closest buddies from university. I just got text for them that we're going to go to the Seahawks game probably December 29th, right? Like, so let's organize it. Okay, done. It's in my calendar. I just, I literally, before I walked in to see you, I put that in the calendar. And uh, my wife knows that December 29th, I'm probably going to watch the Seahawks. Or in late December, I'm going to go watch them. 
right? And that's the boys' trip from university. Mm-hmm. And so you got to just make that time, right? But it 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 just you know it's almost like entrepreneurship. You 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 know you say you can go for dinner on a Friday, you just can't say which Friday. Totally. <laughs> it's like I tell my wife, I, or I used to before back in the day, say, <laughs> I can take any Friday off. I just can't tell you which one in advance." Yeah. Which is really the definition of entrepreneurship, isn't it? Because yeah. you work more hours, but you enjoy it. Totally. And sometimes it's hard. Uh, I'm getting better now, and I'm realizing that setting a schedule actually makes you look more organized to clients. Mm-hmm. And so, like, my first three or four years of real estate, I did not say no to anything. And so, like, if it was a friend's birthday or something like that, they're like, okay, you got to be here at seven. I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be there at seven or 11, but I will I'll be there at some point. And so, like, things come up. Someone wants to see a house or write an offer on something. I'm doing it all the time. But yeah. now I'm realizing that the world doesn't end for me saying, I can't do it tonight. I can meet you there tomorrow or on Sunday after. You know, like, the world doesn't end. The closest people are understand. For sure. Right? And I've actually noticed that. And so it's, uh, it's always key that you have those individuals who, I've got one of my closest friends who lives in Toronto, and we see each other twice a year. But it's like we don't skip a beat. Yeah. Right? It's just you understand that people are busy and have lives too. Yeah. It's not university anymore. You yeah. know what I mean? And so that's always critical, which is important. Have you gone through periods of burnout? Can you see them coming now? Yeah. That's part of the cool thing about evolving me, for me in my five or six year real estate career. Yeah. Is the first three years... I, ju- I felt it. I didn't really know how to deal with it. Now I can see them coming. Or you don't even know you're in burnt out. Exactly. Until finally someone looks at you and goes, hey, you're being rude. And I'll use other words, but we're on a <laughs> podcast. You're being rude. Or hey, like, what's up? Yeah. Right? And, you, and then you are deep in. You've been in it for a month, and it takes like a cycle to get out. I had someone, I think I was probably two and a half or three years in. I had another realtor. I show up a showing to show their property. And she looks at me, and she's like, you look terrible. <laughs> Like, oh, that's a nice way to say hello. How, how yeah, are you? You know the best part was? I just, I hadn't seen someone in a while. Uh, actually, no, sorry. It was something I say. I went to go get my hair cut. And my hairstylist looked at me last week and goes, you look healthy. Yeah. It's like, thanks. What, what, what did I look like before? Yeah. It's like, I don't know. You just got to look healthier. I was like, okay, cool. I'll take that. <laughs> but people can see it on you before you see it yourself sometimes. For sure. Yeah. You almost just like block it out. Like, this idea of entrepreneurship is, and it's always like people talk about grind and like hours and never stop, never stop, zero to empty, full tanks. I've seen all those like cool little magazines or not magazines or uh, what's called the canvases and and the the ones on Facebook and everywhere else. Or like if there's one more, any more people that become a start an Instagram account that talks about everyday hustle. So in the back, like in the back of my head, again, when I got into real estate, it was, I wanted to make a lot of money and that's shifted in the last five years, but I still want to do well. And I have a lot of investment goals and development goals and all these things. So but the one thing I know about you guys it, but, and your team though, is that, is that that's not mutually exclusive. And and now I know, and this is something I know from Jamie for a while and obviously how well you guys partner up is that you guys actually want to help people. Mm-hmm. And if you actually help people, you will make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Because that person is going to tell multiple people what you're doing. Yeah. And that's how your business has grown. Mm. And, and that's how you get then to that attainment. For and sure. if you're authentic in everything you do here and you're credible in everything you do here and that's what you guys do, um, 
if this happens after a scandal occurs and you need to delete this part, just, you know, but right now this is true. Um, but, um, uh, but you know, that authenticity allows you to build that. So mm. I think what you've done is just shifted from making a lot of money to saying, Hey, if I help people properly, I still attain that goal, but mm. I'm actually doing something that's sustainable. You feel so much better about yourself too. When you're in a service business like this, when you're genuinely caring about what the client wants, mm -hmm. right? rather than just seeing it as a dollar sign. And when you're in a business like you are, where there's a wide variety of skill sets, let's mm -hmm. call it, um, people can notice that. For sure. How do you, uh, so the point I was trying to make was like, in the back of my head, first few years, and I'm better at dealing with it mentally now, but the first few years, if I took a night off, a night, not even a day, like a night off, I would feel guilt. I would feel, it would cause me anxiety hmm. just from like putting my computer away at 10 o'clock. How do you get through, how have you gotten through that stuff? Because I know you were, while well, sleeping in office is a pretty good example of uh, not being able to turn it off. <laughs> or working till three in the morning yeah. uh, on multiple bases. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, I learned to quote actually from, uh, from an old mentor of mine who, who tells me, he goes, no one dies in our business. Hmm. Like I'm not a surgeon, right? I'm not someone who's got the weight of the world. I've got a number of employees who have got families, so I got to take care of them. And I take care of them by building a solid business, mm -hmm. which allows the jobs to happen. And then if they create their keep do their jobs, then I can do that. Mm -hmm. But no one's dying in my businesses, right? And um, children will do that to you a lot. I remember when I was like, I remember my oldest was, I'd have been two, yeah. And I was pretty attentive with him, but I would sometimes hop on my phone. And then one day he just goes, Dada, put your phone down. And I was like, whoa okay, I'm not being present. Mm. I'm not present here. That means I'm not present. It means I'm, I'm just, I'm in this little fog all the time, yeah. which means I don't get anything accomplished, which means I always want to be working because mm -hmm. I'm not getting things done that I need to get done. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if your background's like this or not, but I always came from that shoot, then aim approach, right? That's a cool business. Yeah, let's go do that. <laughs> I'll figure it out later. And yeah. when you do that, you're not very... You know, you're not very um, specific on how it needs to work. Mm. You're not methodical of how you're going to do it. Yeah. So you're always working because you got to always figure stuff out. Yeah. When you start aiming a little bit and then shooting, you know, you you, you fix you figure out a lot of stuff, mm. right? And I used to take that as a badge of honor that I was Mr. Shoot the Name, right? But I think that helps from that standpoint to learn. And eventually, like I said, you learn no one dies in my business. It's okay. There's other priorities in my life that I want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. I think also when you're in your 20s, which is probably when you're doing it a lot more, yeah. you know, we're invincible. We don't mm -hmm. think about 70, totally. 80, hopefully, 90, hopefully, or whatever we get to. Um, and so there's always time for work, but nothing else. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, some people learn that earlier in life. Some people, learn, some people never want to learn that. And I think that's okay as well. Some people just want to work. Mm -hmm. That's cool. If that's where you get your fulfillment and purpose from, great. But I think once you realize there's more stuff outside of just a laptop and emailing. And I fall victim to this. I work a lot, right? Mm. But I love what I do, but I still try to take that mix with everything else that I'm doing and understanding is not the end of the world if I don't. Otherwise, for example, I wouldn't be here today chatting with you. Totally. Like, oh, I got to do this, 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 and I got to work. And, and I left the office a little earlier today than I usually do. And I was like, oh, but this is fun to do, right? Get to catch up with yourself. Yeah. Get, to, get to actually have a proper talk. Uh, get to hopefully share some opinions and insights that people are enjoying because... The stuff I've been putting out, people seem to be. So that's the reason I keep putting out more. For sure. When people stop telling me that it's insightful, I'll stop speaking. For sure. Um, and so I think once you start getting into those things, it, it feels a lot better. 
I think you like even with us in the podcast, go through moments of of time where I'm like, why am I doing this again? Is anyone taking anything from it? Yeah. And I was kind of going, I was kind of going through it a little bit. And things always happen for a reason, right? It was, I was kind of going through it a couple, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe just being like, am I really accomplishing anything here? Am I helping anyone? Am I even really, and I, I just kind of like, maybe am contradicting myself in my head, right? Mm-hmm. And it, maybe it comes from this like mental health idea and anxiety, but we get this message. We get a message from a girl who was on the podcast early, maybe, I don't know, six months ago ish. And she has suffered from depression. And so we were just kind of chatting about her experience. She was super open and super self-aware with how she deals with it and all that kind of stuff. And I learned a lot from Mm -hmm. her, from her experience and afterwards didn't really think a ton of it, but I learned a lot in that conversation. She messages us saying, Someone messaged her uh, the day before, a couple days before, who had just listened to the podcast, was thinking about killing himself that night, listened to the podcast, and her sharing her experience and how open-minded she was helped him go seek help. I I don't remember the exact wordage of it. Essentially saved a life. But that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Especially... As I'm going through this idea in my head of like, okay, we're whatever, 10 or 11 months into this thing. We've done 75 episodes. We should be getting better, right? And I feel like we are getting better, but is it attracting, is it providing the value that I want it to provide? So let's take that back to a question that I always tell people is, and, and people always ask me, you know, why did I start writing now or why am I doing those things? And, and really, it, first I started because I wanted people to hear my voice. And here, but really, I realized it was for me. Like I wrote a, that article on mental health and anxiety, mm-hmm. and I felt so much better after getting that out. Mm-hmm. Any articles I write, I feel so good about it, mm-hmm. and so it has to start with you. So I think you actually probably enjoy it for sure, right? And so, because if you're if it's not intrinsic, that no matter what, it, like that's a great, obviously, you know, saving that person's life. But you need to also be able to enjoy what you're putting out to actually get something for it from yourself. Yeah. And, and then if other people are commenting and saying, Hey, this has helped me. Like, I remember when I put up that mental health anxiety article, that's the one I got the most comments on. Mm. Right. And I had people reach out to me and say, Hey, this really helped. Like we did not know, Uh, or some other individuals. I had some of my good friends who didn't know who were like, Hey, we're there for you. Blah, blah, blah. Had a couple of rude comments from people, but you know, there's, there's always those. Uh, But I had a couple of individuals. I remember talking to a few people and they were like, you know, we would never have expected you somebody like you to have mental health issues. Like we just thought you were this rock, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, we have the same issues. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's that it, you're relating to people and that relatability of For sure. you're a human being. Mm-hmm. Right? Once again, we are not perfect. We are not everything we do. We are all made up of chemical reactions. Mm-hmm. And guess what? None of our chemical reaction fires the right way. Mm-hmm. And so I think having that ability that you guys are on 75, which is amazing, by the way, I've been thinking of starting a podcast for a long time. So you guys are already 75 episodes ahead of me. I'm, do it. I'm still thinking. Let's, <laughs> let's just, I'm aiming. I'm still aiming. But, um, but you have to intrinsically want to do it first before, it, before anything else can happen. For sure. And I, th- and, and I genuinely love it. Like we talked about before, I, enj- I feel like I'm good at one-on-one conversations or I get a mm-hmm. lot out of more in-depth conversations with one or two people rather than showing up to those events and saying hello to 700 people. Right. I get nothing out of that. And I also feel like I'm not myself. Yeah. And it's just not fun. No. 
boring. And I don't know, like if I'm going to go spend an evening, I want to make sure I get value out of it. Yeah. Whether it's myself or one of those five things. Mm-hmm. Is it hitting one of those five points? If it's not hitting one of those five things, why am I doing it? Yeah. I, I think for the podcast, for me, why I was feeling, let's say, burnt out for a term um, with the podcast already was I set this weird goal at the beginning of the year of wanting to do 100 in 2019. And I don't know where that came from. I just thought it was a cool round number. A really good number. Yeah, 100 always is a good number. Sounds good, right? Yeah. But what was the actual purpose behind setting that goal? I, did, I had no idea. So maybe I was shooting at 100, but not really understanding why I was that doing it. That means you're doing a podcast every 3.65 days, right? So that's, or whatever. Yes, I was trying to do two. I was trying to do at least two a week. And we're not going to be there, and nor do I really hold that goal with much value yeah, right now. Yeah, you do two a week, yeah. Because of, I was getting that feeling and I was losing the enjoyment of actually having the conversations, and it was more about like, okay, I need to find more people to get for next month, whatever, whatever. And so I was spending time on what I didn't really enjoy doing and less So that number could have been your extrinsic motivation. Sure. Not what you were looking to do internally. Exactly. Yeah, which is to build a really good podcast. Which is now just, it's part of balance, right? It's one of those three things. Maybe yeah. podcasting is one of my three things, right? Yeah, and it could help you therapeutically on how you think and operate, mm-hmm. et cetera, right? For some people, that's gym. For some people, that's meditation. Yeah. For some people, it's writing. For other business people, I know it's art, mm-hmm. right? And it all depends on what it is for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We talk about mental health. Uh, I really enjoyed that article, though, oh, that thanks. you put out. Thank you for, well, actually, Nav sent it to me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh. I'll send her a message afterwards. Uh, when did it start for you? Like, because I'm only really realizing in the last year or so that I have a lot of anxiety that I try to overlook and try to bypass. Like, even weird things like sitting in the car, being per- on the borderline of being late for an appointment, my heart is pumping and I, like, can't breathe that well. Yeah. And it's anxiety. But I don't really know how to deal with it, and I'm getting a little bit better. I think talking about it helps. But I think a lot of people who work for themselves take on a lot of stress, work more hours than they probably should, and it just keeps building over time. They don't really know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. So I think anxiety, people say it's a nature and nurture. I think it's more nature. I, like I, I think I said earlier, I think the body's made up of chemical reactions, mm-hmm. and, and we just don't, we have a different makeup of chemical reactions that causes that. Mm-hmm. The first time I remember it, it's actually when I was like, I was young, six, eight, they're not around that age. I got about that story in that article actually about, I gave my cousin a watch. Yeah. And then my dad asked where that watch was. And it was an old watch. It didn't matter. But I got so many knots in my stomach and so sick to the point where my parents had to take me to the doctors to try to figure out what was wrong with me. Now try explaining to a doctor, late 80s, early 90s, and Duncan... <laughs> In Duncan. <laughs> that I gave a watch to somebody and it's making me feel really sad. Yeah. I didn't know what to say about it. They're like, this guy's a kook, right? Like they don't get it. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first time I noticed it. But I, but what I what I tell people now, even my wife, you know, I think she probably gets she hears me say anxiety caused it. And what I say is that everything that's when you have something like anxiety, I think there's pros and cons to it, actually, personally. Mm-hmm. Uh if you can manage it. It's a very good strength to have. But if you can't, weaknesses occur. Like I remember playing sports and I was a pretty good basketball player, but I would always shoot the ball early or I'd be nervous about something early, et cetera. That's because I was, I didn't have the patience and I was anxious. So I wanted to get it over with. In friendships, I would just blow up. Mm. 
You're so anxious. Think about having, think about being in flight or fight your entire day. Mm-hmm. I think people think you're hot tempered. Sure. But you just don't, you, you, you've gone through every other gate already. That's where you are. And then you go from there to just being dead tired all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? I think the running joke back in the 20s was, or not 20, when I was in my 20s and early 30s, even before I kind of got a handle on it better in the last couple of years was, um, someone wanted to meet me for a meeting and someone's like, oh, he's on his dad's couch. <laughs> he's probably taking a nap. Right? But I didn't, you don't realize those things until you can step out of it. Mm-hmm. Right? And I was just having this conversation. They're like, oh, are you cured? Et cetera, or do you battle? I'm like, no, it still happens. Mm-hmm. This happened near New Year's, but this year has been my best year ever because I understand all those things. I understand how it was impacting my life mm-hmm. and I understand the steps I need to take to make sure it's a positive for me and not a negative. Mm-hmm. If I skip out on the gym for more than three days, I'm going to feel anxious. I'm consuming alcohol and excessive consumptions. I'm going to feel anxious. Mm-hmm. If, right, if I'm, if I'm, you know, those are the two main triggers that I've realized, right? So, now the question is, take care of our health, take care of our mind, mm-hmm. right? What's more important and how do you do that? So I try to make sure that those triggers are, are controlled sure. in those ways. And, and those are very easy to control. If you actually think about it, let's take that back. That's so simple. <clears throat> totally. Hey, don't drink and exercise. Totally. Wow, that actually is pretty good for your health too, Yeah. right? Like, so it's something I should be doing anyways. And totally. so understanding those things and then realizing what situations put me in anxious environments. So I realized that people around me made mm-hmm. me anxious. Mm-hmm. I realized that people who are based transactional, not authentic, not relationship oriented, all those type of individuals, every single one of them, I would get anxious and then I would blow up and I'd flip out and then I'd be done again. And so over the last two years, cut them all out. Literally, I don't think there's one person in my life who I speak to on a regular basis, even as a business partner, really, who I would say is not relationship oriented, who them and I don't share certain values with. That was only a couple of years ago. Yeah. That's when you realized that it was more, it was potentially hurting you rather than using it as a strength. That's when I realized after another time of blowing up and being so upset and freaking not sleeping for days and putting on more weight that I had to knock off and that something was wrong. Sure. That it was rock bottom. And, you know, where my, you know, I, I joke around my right hand at the office, told my wife, I'm worried about Manny, right? And said, something's up. And that is where I noticed it. I finally said, you know what? Enough of this. I'm done. And spent time trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. I knew I had anxiety for the longest time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, did it really need to get to that point? And realizing that taking those steps actually, I was going to say the word cured, but that's not the right word, actually helps me maintain a healthy balance. Right? So getting around people, like I get asked to do talks all the time, speak all the time. Yeah. You asked me, I said yes right away. Right? Probably took me a little while to get back on text. Sorry about that. I'm really bad on text. <laughs> no, you did um, say yes right away. I did say yes right away. Yeah. Because I believe there's all element relationship orientation. You know, I you know, we know so many people in common and, and I was happy to do it. Mm. But I say no to a lot of people. Mm. Right. And it's because I really value that and I realize that I need to protect myself a little bit sure. to do that. And yeah. so you know, living in a city like Vancouver, um, you know, in terms of business, those type of things, I need to protect myself from that perspective as well. Yeah. Right. Otherwise, I'm going to go back off the deep end. If I'm working with somebody who, you know, is completely transactional oriented, like I get a pit in my stomach. Like I literally do. 
So to me, though, that's a pretty good superpower to have. Totally. It's a pretty good, you know, analysis of people. You know, you've been on my list since I started, the, since before episode one. Oh, thank you. I made a list of who I wanted to talk to, and there was like 10 or 12 people on that list right away. And the first 11 weren't available, or? Hey, come on now. This is, this is, a, <laughs> this is a nice story I'm trying to tell. Uh, I, I just knew I wasn't ready for you yet. And I feel like, I don't know if I'm ready yet, and you can be the judge of that, but I feel like I'm more confident in being able to pull a lot of good quality things out and things that I'm genuinely curious about, like anxiety. Because for me, I think I've just realized it in the last year or so. It's always, I've always looked at it as, I don't know, comparing it to like other people being being like, how do I know this is actually a thing? How do I know this is actually bad? Maybe if I just suppress it, it'll go away. I think other people deal with a lot worse shit than me, so why should I be complaining mm -hmm. about this kind of thing? Yeah, something's wrong with my brain. I, I think I use that actually in my head a lot is mm. other people deal with a lot worse stuff than me. Mm -hmm. I should be able to get over this. Yeah when I'm now finding that the more I talk about it, the quicker it goes away. If you actually talk to people who knew me back then, mm -hmm. even five years ago, four, three years ago, and know me now, they say it's not a different, not a different person in that mm -hmm. I still loved the pieces that I was doing, mm -hmm. but I have much more of a sense of calmness, if you could imagine that I'm calm. So imagine how high strung I used to be, <laughs> but that I'm much more calm, much more relaxed in terms of things I do and how I operate. Yeah. And I truly believe that's because I've, because I use, I'm able to manage it in, in a way that channels it in positivity. Mm. You mentioned um, cutting people out that maybe didn't align with your values. Yeah. Any other things that you've done in the last couple of years that have helped? Yeah, I let some of those people know I cut them because I don't know about <laughs> I still do that. It's so funny. I, uh, I'm horrible at that. I, I do let people know if I, if I, if I don't like them. Just um, a mass email. Just a mass BCC though. To whom it may concern. To whom it concern. No, no, no. No, it's so funny. I just I'm very open and honest. I, I I find people like you're not open and honest. If if there's someone you don't really really like and it's to a point like it's got to be to a certain point. Yeah. I think one I was talking to. I'm part of another organ another organization and I was leading it and the guy the guy was in there and I was like just you know I'm like just be honest with you. I don't think you're a very good person. I go have to be nice to you because you're in the organization, but just you know just stop there. It's nowhere else. And he was like, well, you don't know me. I go no, but. I see how you operate and I've seen transactions you've done. I see these type of things. And not that I'm a saint, I'm not saying I am. I'm sure there's people who don't like me. In fact, they'll probably comment on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but, um, but you just don't fit with them. I'm letting you know, like, so, you know, if you're trying to build a relationship, it's just not going to happen. That really helps because mm -hmm. you're just literally open and honest. Mm -hmm. And you realize how good that is. It feels good. So that's really helped. Um, what other things have I done in the last couple of years? Uh, I take time out for me. I don't do the 10 o'clock feel guilty anymore. Yeah. I do I do that. I go to bed a lot earlier than I used to. I used to be a night owl. Me too. I, I used to, I used to literally like I remember my dad. He's full of quotes. He's a quote he's a quote machine. <laughs> but early to bed, early to rise makes uh makes my man healthy, wealthy and wise. I think I just nailed it. <laughs> wow. And I literally loved being the opposite of that. Yeah. And I was like, "No, dad. Staying up late, partying hard." Mm. you know look what i've done right but, but it's actually, almost this image to oh, yourself yeah. right it's this image in my head of like 
If I go, if I work till two a.m., I've dominated. Yeah, I remember. That day, right? I remember where was it? I was up on Gross Mountain. I think I was doing a hike or something at like two in the afternoon, and someone posted something. I'm like grinding three a.m. in the office. This is what it's about. And I replied back with my picture. I was like, no, nah, I think this is what it's about. <laughs> but that's me. Yeah. Totally me. Might not be you, right? It's like, it's like you know, it's like people who are like, I need to be a billionaire. And I'm like, why? I'm like, if you get that, that's great. But you realize becoming a billionaire takes a little bit of luck too. It's not complete skill. Mm-hmm. You can do that. You can become a millionaire just with skill and building mm-hmm. a good business. But to have a billionaire, you need to hit the right industry. You need to hit the right time. You need to do exactly. a variety of other things. If it happens, it happens. But why don't you enjoy the ride while you're doing it, mm-hmm. right? Um... So I think that's also that's also been really critical. And then just taking a step back, and I am probably one of the most self-deprecating people you over here. I'm sure I've done it a few times on this podcast without even realizing it. Just can you look at yourself and take yourself lightly? Mm. Right? Like we're not serious people, right? Like, you know, in terms of you know, the messages we're saying and talking, if people agree or disagree, I'd love to hear it. I'd love to have that conversation. For sure. But it's not a not a oh hey look at this person they're on this pedestal higher i actually think being relatable is way cooler absolutely than building this facade of what you are like i know some people are like oh you must be really busy like there's somebody i know who i who i consider a decent friend he's like you must be so busy all the time i'm like yeah sure but i can make time for lunch i can make time for dinner Mm -hmm. just let me know and i will do it because i spend enjoy that time with you and they're like oh okay right but it's so it's it's being relatable to me i think is it's such a it's such a nice piece and and then you kind of just figure out who who you who who leans in and who leans out um and the ones that lean in you spend more time with and the ones that lean out when they hear about what you're about you kind of just avoid that's one of the cool things i like about podcasts and i listen to a lot i'm in the car a lot every day so yeah rather than listen to music and numb your brain i like educating Less myself relaxing music there there are times but yeah. for i'd say 70 percent of the time i'm listening to podcasts yeah um also good theme songs. My son loves Ninja Turtles, Paw Patrol. A lot of good theme songs you can listen to. You ever get there? I'm going to download Ninja Turtles theme song on you should Spotify do it. tonight. You should see it. And you'll feel it. You'll feel it like this is nostalgia from when I was a kid. Tomorrow morning. Yeah. I'll I'm drive send over. Just send me a video of that. Instagram yeah. that to me. <laughs> I, love, I, love the, I love the podcast platform because it's genuine, because it is long form. And people actually have, an, uh, have, have time to explain points of view and experiences rather than like a morning TV show that they get two minutes to talk or yeah. like a filtered TV show like Dragon's Den and things like that. I Part of the reason I wanted to have you on is because I saw you as a facade type thing like you just said, like up on a pedestal in terms of entrepreneurship in BC. Uh, and so I wanted to just kind of chat with you and get to know you a little bit better. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, it's that be relatable. It's more fun that way. For sure. And is. you get to learn so much more. You learn every day. And I learned stuff today sitting here. So that's, mm-hmm. that's the best part. What? You are probably 12 or 13 years from starting your first business? First successful or failed? Because I had a <laughs> lemonade stand, but I realized location's important because it was near a highway. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't do well when I was like 12. So <laughs> In Duncan? Yeah, in Duncan. I tried I tried random businesses all the time. The drive-by traffic in Duncan is limited too. Yeah, and they don't stop. <laughs> like I did so much random stuff. Mowed lawns. I remember I tried to do a trading company, but being credible at 18 when you're trying to broker cold deals doesn't work. Yeah. Um, the first successful business was actually while I was still at Corn Ferry. Um, like real successful, where I made a little bit of capital. I actually went and saw a hole in the market where you saw companies like Newad. Yeah, those are the washroom stalls. Yeah, yeah. 
they had all the primary markets but i was like what about the secondary markets like banquet halls and outside of greater vancouver and i went and consolidated a bunch of those and built them out and then sold it and so mm. i did that while i was at corn ferry and kind of realized ooh, okay after seven failed businesses seven failed ex- seven experiences we <laughs> should call it because that that makes it sound really cool like when you say pivot instead of <laughs> wasted money um um you know it's kind of good to taste something but the real the real first one where i would say you know Success is however you measure it, but let's say capital-wise, where I started turning, you know, seven-digit profit right away was, mm-hmm. was 26, 27, 26, I think, um, PM search. Yeah. What motivates you now? Because it sounded like getting into your career, starting that recruitment business money was a big thing. Yeah. How's that shifted? Um, I, I don't, I'm trying to figure a way not to sound cliche. uh i really enjoy what i do it's a passion um but it's kind of true like i i get up and i genuinely enjoy what i do and that doesn't mean it's not stressful Mm -hmm. like the last two weeks if i was to tell you what happened in our in our business just from people and health (laughs) people in our business uh you'd be like oh my god i remember telling that to sunny yesterday she's like you've had a rough couple weeks but um i genuinely enjoy what i do and i'm most of the stuff i do for intrinsic reasons whether it's capital accumulation for a purpose, mm-hmm. whether it's my kids, whether it's family, whether it's educating other individuals. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I get to do some pretty cool stuff. Like I've got this business I manage. I still got a portfolio of investments, everything from like a company that does used chopsticks and turns it into furniture. I've seen that. To one. period boxes for women, which I'm a, I'm a supporter of. Everyone like gives me the weird eye when they realize I'm, I'm one of their early investors. But now they're in Sephora. They were just on like... Um, the big show in New York, Bloom. I forget what, the, not the Daily Show. I'm going to forget now, but they were like, they're killing it, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're knocking on the park to, I'm in a company that's trying to cure salmonella and chicken feed. So that way it's chickens on a salmonella. Yeah. Like some pretty cool stuff. So I've still invested yeah. in those companies that I work with. And um, so that's pretty cool. I sit on the board of Science World, which I just get to be a kid at. Like yeah. I'm on the board of Science World. Like, how cool <laughs> is that? Like, you know, and I didn't grow up with Science World, right? But like, I, like, you know, I helped them donate money for their Wonder Gallery. So that climbing structure, like, and I've been in there slightly inebriated once or twice, right? So like, (laughs) I don't know, that's pretty fun. Like I get to do, I get to mentor really cool kids. Like I I did a work with Junior Achievement. I don't know if anyone's Junior Achievement BC. And like, I remember they had a a, a business pitch thing. And it's not like a case, it's like proper businesses. And these kids in grade nine just blew me away. Meraki, check them out. Um, you know, like grade nine, like they're going into grade nine, I think. So maybe they were grade eight, but like they were taking used like recyclables, plastics, and building pins out of them to sell. Hmm. I can tell you what I was doing in grade eight and nine. Yeah. That was not it. <laughs> and probably even first year of university, I didn't get that far in life. Um, so like, you know, and they came in and they were like, "Oh, man, you know, we know so much." And I was like, "Cool, come sit down with me. And let's have a chat." Yeah. They're like, "Huh?" And so yeah, I got to go to junior achievement and got to sit down with these three kids, and I was like, "Ask me anything." And I was so impressed with that meeting. I was like, you know what? On your next Pro D Day, you guys want to come in and listen to pitches? That would be and they were so like, cool. For they you. were like, their jaws dropped. They're like, yeah. what? And I was like, do you guys want to come in and watch people pitch me their companies? I'm like, I'm just letting you know now. It's not Dragon's Den, but it's it's like it's different, but it's fun. <laughs> so now they're going to come in on their next Pro D Day to do that. So I get to do that junior achievement. Um, so that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, I get to right now. I'm, I'm working on a company where you know this company was in dire need of some cash, and, and but really just needed someone to come in and help steer the ship right. So in my spare time, I was like, for sure, that sounds like fun. And so like, 
you can probably tell that I actually enjoy what I'm doing because I'm talking pretty passionately about For it. For sure. Right? And so like everything everything I'm doing kind of dovetails really well together with that stuff. And I still do search work, but I literally have a no assholes policy of my search work. It's like referral only. We know you super well. Uh, and I'm doing a CFO search for a really cool company. It's confidential, so I can't talk about it. But, you know, we still charge really good fees, but I do 10 to 12 searches a year for really good people that I want to work with. Mm. And I really enjoy it because I keep getting to talk to really cool people. People are like, why do you still do that? I'm like, it's, it's fun. Yeah. Right? And it's not, it's not a hassle anymore. So, yeah. so why do I, what motivates me now is just getting into really cool stuff. I, I, I feel very fortunate, very humbled and fortunate that I get to work with some pretty amazing people in Vancouver, across Canada and globally on stuff. Mm-hmm which I think is just awesome. And the opportunities that people entrust me to come look at, like, it's just, I'm like, I literally, like I'm humbled and honored. And I sit back one time, Jamie and I were talking about this one time and we we're like, not bad for a kid from Duncan, right? Like, <laughs> or for Jamie as well, right? Not bad, like where he's got to do. And so we just sit back and like, you know, I really enjoy being president of EO. Like try, try working with a non-volunteer board of 14 entrepreneurs. It's, mm-hmm. it's harder than herding cats. Right? So like trying to learn to lead through influence, not authority, like pretty cool, right? So do you consciously do that very often? Because that's the one thing I'm not very good at is like celebrating successes. Do you consciously sit back and think, I didn't think I was going to be here when I was, you know, 15 looking at selling, trying to sell lemonade on the side of the highway? Yeah. So um, there's a cool story. Um, When I was actually, my wife found it. I had written a list of 10 things to do before the age of 30 when I was like cool. 12. Didn't remember it at all. My wife was slipping through. My parents like are awesome. They kept everything. Like I remember thinking that A's was just normal in life. And like all these awards I got were just normal because I had two very high achieving brothers and sisters. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I got A's, but you know, my behavior was unsatisfactory. <laughs> right. Uh, and so she was flipping through all this. She's like, do you realize you're actually somewhat smart? I was like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, but then she found this list. It was 10 things to do before the age of 30. And it was like, you know, get an MBA, make over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Make, there was one that was even higher than that. There was, you know, do this, do that. And there was one thing left on that list. For, and I was 29 when she found it. Uh, it was uh, buy a Ferrari, Maserati, or Bentley, right? And uh, and so I was obviously thinking of these things as a kid. Funny enough, my wife was just go do it. So I went and bought a Maserati before I turned 30. So I could say I crossed <laughs> off that whole list. But like, I think it was, I always thought, I always remember my youngest dreams, like, I'm going to remember sitting in class and be like, yeah, I'm going to make a lot of money. And all I could do is picture myself with a lot of money. But there was like literally nothing from, 13 years old to 40 when I had done it or whatever. Yeah. There was no actual like plan in between. Yeah. So I think I always thought I was going to do it. But the funny thing is I got there very differently than I thought I, than I thought I was going to. Totally. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right. And, I, and like I said, I wish I learned this way earlier in life. The other thing I try to explain to people is like, yes, you want to learn through experiences, through your pivots. But I wish I learned that so much earlier because mm. I would have gotten to enjoy my 20s so much more too. How do you learn it without going through it though? Because I, Especially when you're like 19 to 25, you kind of think you you have this arrogance about you, right? It's just kind of yeah. normal in dudes. I think the quicker you learn it, the faster you can get through it. Like, hey, sure. that snake is poisonous. Yeah. Don't go touch that snake. <laughs> yeah. Do you really need to go touch that snake? Yeah. Right? Now, hey, that's a pretty high jump. That's pretty tough to do. Well, I'm going to train. I'm going to go do it. That's different. Mm-hmm. Right? There's, there's certain things that are just absolute facts that you can learn from. Yeah. 
<laughs> that you should take. Mm-hmm. But there are other things that you learn through life experiences. Sure. And there's a mix of those, right? There's a really cool quote from, I think it's Bill Gates, who goes, someone goes, oh, how did you, um, how did you, uh, learn to make good decisions or how'd you make, how'd you become successful? Good decisions. How'd you learn to make good decisions? Experiences. How'd you learn experiences? Bad decisions. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, right. Like, but it's, it's understanding that. And a lot of people, I think, I think that's the thing between 1925. Yes. We're arrogant. We're told we should be males and we should do dumb stuff and yeah. blah, 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 blah. And we actually don't learn. We just keep doing the same things over and over again. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's the ones who figure out the fastest of how to learn from those experiences that move ahead a lot quicker. Totally. Let's wrap up this way because I want you to go hang out with your kids before you, they go to bed. <laughs> All good. Uh, if someone has a startup and is looking to pitch Manny Pata, what uh, what are the characteristics you're looking for in a business pitch? Well, the first thing is if you need to get a hold of me, you have to be referred into me. Um, so find someone who knows me and mm-hmm. get an introduction. I don't have much pull with Manny, so don't text me. <laughs> <laughs> and... And the second thing is you could easily check online what I'm into and what I'm not. Mm-hmm. So you know what my focus is, you know what type of businesses I look at, you know what I don't. So if you know that I'm into what you're looking, what you're into, what you're doing, if you, I've got a lot of connections on LinkedIn, I've got a lot of ways that you can get a hold of me. Um, and the only reason I do that is because it's a filter and it's not the best filter. Mm-hmm. I can it to GPA in school. I don't think GPA is the best way of determining who should get in university. For sure. But it's just a filter. And sure. so it's a really good filter. Otherwise, I think last year we saw, like now to our inboxes, we get four to five pitches a day mm-hmm. minimum. That's what gets through junk mail. Jeez. Right? And in mails and everything else. And so I need something that gets above that noise. So find someone that I respect who's sent over pitches or try some people you know i'm guaranteeing you there's probably mutual connections mm-hmm. say hey do you know manny or do someone know manny and if you do that research and you want to show me something and i see that you've done that then i will then i'll listen greater vancouver is so much smaller than i thought it was yeah it's a, it's a town not a city totally yeah right um but it, it the person doesn't even need to be in vancouver totally right? yeah. i think less than half my contacts in my linkedin are from vancouver is that right yeah yeah so Toronto, New York, Boston, London, South Africa, Australia, like there's people all over the world that I've worked with. So there's very good ways to get in touch. Um, in, what about in front of you? They're in front of you. They've gotten through that filter. Yeah. What, what are you looking for? If it's randomly, please make sure I'm not with my kids. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I, I just come prepared. Like, Or just like, yeah. what gives you that good gut instinct about someone? Yeah, like, uh, just be open about what you want to do and what, why you're there. Like, you know, um, if you're there to ask for money, ask for money. If you're there to say, hey, I just want your advice. And I have a lot of people who ask me and give me a call for advice, happy to do that. Mm. If you're a student, you have a better chance of getting in front of me than if you're not a student, mm. right? Have a little bit of a soft spot, right? Just because of myself and about how many people when I was a student, like, helped me. And, like, would be like, oh, you're a student. We're going to do this. Yeah. But I remember one really good mentor who is worth way too much money. Um, <laughs> but he was like, pass it on. Make sure you do the same thing. For sure. And so, you know, those type of things. And so once you're in front of me, just tell me what you want. Tell me what, you know what I mean? But but just let's have a conversation. It's not, it doesn't have to be, here's my pitch deck. Mm. How'd you start your business? Why'd you start your business? Where is that? Because if I like those answers and I like the person, then I'll come back and have a second meeting. Sure. Right? Mm. So I think that's the best way to get a hold of me. Also, you know, if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter, those type of things, mm. I do answer questions off that sometimes. Yeah. I'm starting to do a lot more of those now. Um, end of the week, I usually compile a few questions that are being asked and I reach back out and message them. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll start doing those 
you know, on video so people can see them. Mm-hmm. But I do do that. I spend, I do spend time going through those. And if there's questions, I think that are, uh, that I can help and assist with and are, are reasonable. Mm-hmm. Right. Please don't ask me to send you money. <laughs> Mr. Kofi Annan Jr. Right. Like, yeah. like those ones. But, uh, you know, if you're like, Hey, I've got this business idea. This is what I'm doing. I'm struggling. What, what do you think? And I always, you know, you've sent the evenings. I'll pop off. I'm like, Oh, there's some good, good questions from people. And I'll, I'll direct message them back. One of the things I, whenever I read articles, I'll write little quotes down or something. I've got a couple notes in my phone of like quotes that I look back at and it just kind of like reminds something. And one I wrote down today from reading one of the articles that you posted was uh, one, one of the misconceptions about business is that it's about metrics, but it, fundamentally it's about trust. And I have learned that in the last few years, but it's just, it's something to reiterate over and over and over again with especially young people in business is yes, you need to be prepared and you need to know what you're talking about and experience helps with that stuff. But it's really just about building connections with people. Yeah. That's what wins most of the time. Right? I cannot tell you how many people, like I really wish I could tell you about this one transaction I'm working on. <laughs> um, but it's literally like, I'll give an example of it. Like I, you know, I'm out in the community, I chat people, I try to help, et cetera. And I had this one entrepreneur come to me and say, hey, listen, I'm in trouble. I've got all these shareholders that are pissed at me. Um, we've got all these different classes of shares and blah, blah, blah. Can you come in? I just came in and had a conversation with the shareholders. One that's a really big venture capital firm. Another that's a very large supplier in Europe. And another one who's a heavy hitter angel investor. All worth more than I am. And I was like, guys, this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to move everyone to one common class structure. No rights. I'd like to have everyone take a cram down. Because the business hasn't gone well. And I'd like to replace the entire board with seasoned people from the industry. And the reason for that is that I want to see this company succeed. I want to be able to do that. And we will put in capital if we can do that. I remember him calling me after saying, that's not going to work. <laughs> and literally a week later, and we're just signing paperwork now. But they've kind of agreed. Which is just like, you. I, I was even kind of shocked. Yeah. And some ways, but I literally walked in there and said, yes, this is the plan. This is what I want to do. And let's go from there. Mm. So I'm just going to tell my wife I'm yeah, yeah. Okay. no let's wrap up okay. Manning, one second, one second here. okay hey hun i'm just still talking to denny here you're now on the youtube you're now on youtube podcast hi sonny daddy says hi <laughs> james harden look like says hi to you <laughs> but the white version <laughs> we've just been having a wicked conversation so is, is zevi almost in bed now oh zevi's in bed okay no worries no worries, no worries. um tell zane i'll be back by 7 30 latest and then i'll give it to him is that okay thanks a lot bye Let's wrap up. I didn't realize it was seven already. <laughs> no worries, man. We've had a good combo. That was fun, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no worries. I appreciate it. There's a lot more that I want to talk to you about. So whether well, it's over, over beers yeah, or yeah, whatever. For, I, dude, you live literally like half a block away from me. Anytime. Yeah, 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 anytime. Awesome, man. Thank Let's you. See you. Yeah, you bet. Bye.